Content creation at its best. Bombard Media. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. This is Karen Wickiam, your host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I decided to do a special episode today. Why? Because it's the end of the new year. And at the end of the new year, many, many shows from sports to movies, you name it, music, they make their top 10, top 100, best of the year, worst of the year type thing. So I decided to do something similar to that. This list is called the what not to do when going into the ER list. It's not necessarily the worst of or best of. It's a loose guideline of maybe what to do and what not to do, like in the title, that will make your visit more pleasant and our experience more pleasant. Therefore, being able to hopefully please everybody overall. Okay, so before I get started, I want to give a few thank yous for some wonderful iTunes reviews from sheep for him and one love 471 thank you guys for the lovely reviews thank you everybody else for listening and supporting and being a part of the facebook group discussion group twitter all that fun stuff also another thank you to my patreon supporters for this year you have been wonderful it's helped me out a lot towards paying for my production costs, that kind of thing. And I'm hoping to be able to get some new equipment in the new year. Yay! Thanks, guys. I'm really excited about the year to come. I'm going to be making some pretty cool changes. I'm going to keep what's working. True crime, suture room, crazy stories, medical mysteries, medical history, all the stuff that I've kind of been doing and some new things. But I'm also going to be adding a monthly or bi-monthly segment called Hardcore ER. And this is when I'm going to be getting into the nitty gritty, the down and dirty, the scary and hairy parts of the ER. It's not going to be pretty. So for those who are real ER horror story junkies, this will be for you. It's not for the meek of heart. Okay, so that's upcoming this year. And this year has been fan friggin-tastic. I started this podcast in July, and here I am ending up in at the end of December 2017, and it's been a blast. It's been amazing. I can't believe that I'm still doing it. I wasn't sure how far this would get. And you know what? Sky's the limit, peeps. So... 2018, here I come. 2017, you've been pretty good to me. Okay, so without further ado, let's move on to this subject of what to do, what not to do in the ER. But before I get started, let's do a little bit of triage history. Where did it come from? How did it start? Okay, let's do this. The origin of the word triage comes from the French word trier. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but anyway. Uh, 
which means to sort. This system has been in place for centuries. Baron, Baron, <laughs> Baron, <laughs> Dominique Jean Larry, 1766 to 1842, was Napoleon's surgeon, and he is credited for putting the original use of triage in place. He also established an ambulance corps called the Ambulances Volante. Man, I think I'm just butchering this. Anyway, so the Ambulance Volante, which is a classification system for the wounded on the field to decide which of the wounded would be removed to safety and for care first. During early military triage, the soldiers who were the least injured were patched up and sent back out to fight. They were given the highest priority. You need as many soldiers as possible, I guess, is the uh, method behind the madness there. The sickest patients, the most injured, were treated last, and they were often left to die on the field. I, that's just horrible. And only after battle were they checked on and assessed, most of whom had already died or were very close to death. Now, I can tell you I've come across a lot of people in the ER who would feel that this form of triage would be best. Let the most well people get seen first and the sickest last. That way they don't have to wait. Ah, man, I, I, I sound a little bitter there, don't I? Not, that's not very nice. Anyway, let's go. It was during the Napoleonic War that the badass babe herself, Florence Nightingale, was doing her thing. She would search the battlefields for the mortally wounded and bring them back to camp to give them as much comfort as she could. And I will be doing an episode on Florence McNightingale in the future because I think she is pretty awesome and there's so much to know about her. Back to Baron Larry. This dude who invented triage was not just the mind behind this. He would also go out to the field to pick up the wounded who could survive life by getting surgery, like an amputation. Some of these surgeries were even performed on the battlefield. Ah! The chance of surviving them was next to none. I don't know, I think I'd rather just die than have my leg cut off and die. Larry's triage principles were developed further by the surgeons in the Civil War. There was a more organized and disciplined ambulance service that would bring the wounded to a dedicated aid station instead of just dealing with them on the field or just off the field. Union Army surgeons Charles Tripler and Jonathan Letterman further fine-tuned triage. Instead of leaving the mortally wounded on the field, they would try to get them off the field during battle to give them the best chance of survival, not just waiting till the very end. They still chose the least wounded first, but didn't leave the mortally wounded behind to die on the field. They felt that they deserved care as well. In comes Clara Barton. She established the American Red Cross after war Clara focused on returning the wounded to their families rather than leaving them in the field to die. World War I led to even more advances in the triage system and emergency care. The advances in medical and surgical treatment and improved public health decreased the mortality rate. The wounded were able to get better care. Surgeons now had the use of well-developed anesthetic methods, thank God, tetanus vaccines, and antiseptic solutions. They helped a lot, but because of the absence of antibiotics, shock and sepsis, it did not really improve the mortality rate of wound infections, which was almost always fatal. 
By the onset of World War II, there had been significant advances in medical care. There was a much improved survival rate for soldiers wounded on the battlefield. Antibiotics were available, and there were advances in surgical techniques for abdominal and chest wounds. They now had forward aid stations that were stationed a safe distance away from the battlefield, and the stations could provide plasma, blood, control of bleeding, and all the other things that a wounded soldier would need. Buddy care was also introduced. Each soldier was given a basic first aid kit that had a tourniquet in it, and I think one dose of morphine, among a couple other things, uh, that they could use on fellow soldiers or themselves. Now the medic was also introduced as a position in the military. And this was and has become one of the most important and dangerous positions in the military as the medics would run forward under fire to assist a wounded soldier. The medic was now able to maintain the life in many soldiers who would have previously died of blood loss or chest wounds. Badly injured soldiers were brought to nearby aid stations for control of bleeding, dressings, splinting, IV fluids, the like. The science of triage has grown in advance to become the highly developed and amazing life-saving process that it is today. Triage was naturally instituted into hospitals and ER departments. And medical technology has advanced, so we have modern approaches to triage, which are increasingly based on scientific methods. The essence of triage is best shown in a disaster situation. Triage is providing the best care, identifying and treating people based on the need and chance of survival, making the most efficient use of available resources. And that's the exact same in the ER department. The basic concept of conventional triage is to do the greatest good for the individual patient. In Canada, we use a categorization system called CTAS which stands for Canadian Triage Acuity Scale. And it pretty much breaks down to this. If you are attended to by an ambulance outside the hospital, they assign a level of CTAS. Or if you come into the hospital, we assign the level of CTAS through you through triage. And here are the five levels. Level five is non-urgent and should be seen in 120 minutes. Level four is less urgent to be seen in 60 minutes. Level three is urgent to be seen in 30 minutes. Level two is emergent to be seen in 15 minutes. And level one is resuscitation and you gotta be seen immediately. Now those are the guidelines. That is the perfect situation if we can reach all those, but it is not always possible. We need to see the resuscitation and emergent patients right away and often need many nurses and doctors to attend. There is also a pediatric triage, which is different, as their little bodies work at a different rate than ours, but the principles are the same. Now, the triage nurse is a highly experienced and trained professional. They are experts in assessment. These nurses are among the best medical professions in the hospital. They are not receptionists trained in ignoring you, as opposed to some people's belief. The findings in triage assessment determines whether you'll be seen in the main ER or a minor treatment area for mobile people. It's important to know that it is the goal to see every patient as soon as possible. For most of you, in fact, I hope all of you, you get that. But I'm just going to say it again in case you're listening to the podcast and someone walks by who maybe is an impatient type and hears this. 
it is the goal to see every patient as soon as possible. That's what we want. However, the ER is not first come first served. The patients are seen in order of urgency based on their condition and triage assessment. A critically ill patient may need the help of several staff members, which may increase the waiting time for less urgent conditions, like I just mentioned. The wait might be longer due to the large number of patients in the department. Patients arriving by ambulance do not necessarily get treatment first, as they too are assessed by the triage RN, like walk-in patients, and if stable and ambulatory, will be asked to wait in the waiting room along with the other patients. During longer wait times, the patients will be reassessed and encouraged to report any changes in their condition. Really important. Let the nurse know if there are any changes, good or bad, in your condition. Now, let's talk about what not to do. Or what to do. Depends on how you look at it. Like I said before, triage nurses are the first line. The traffic controllers for the department who work with the charge nurse. You are assessed and assigned to the area that best serves you. And believe me, you don't want to be the one person who is rushed through the double doors of doom. Seriously, you don't. So let's start the list. One, coming constantly to the triage nurse or desk will not get you seen any faster. Two, yelling abusive insults and threats will not get one seen any faster. In fact, it will probably get them bounced if they persist. If you call us names and threaten us, you're probably not that sick. If you say that you're dying from a migraine and that you need to see a doctor as soon as possible because you need a smoke, you're probably not dying from a migraine. You can't fake a heart attack because you can't fake blood work and you can't fake an EKG or the way your skin looks or O2 sat, that type of thing. You can't bleed to death from a paper cut. Seriously, you can't. 37 degrees is not a fever. Puking and vomiting for six hours after eating too much greasy hangover food is not a medical emergency. Babies and small children will always go in first. You cannot write your own doctor's orders. Don't tell me what you need before you see the doctor. For instance, you sit down, I ask you what's going on, and right away you say, I have back pain and I need 10 milligrams of morphine IV push and I'll go outside for a smoke. Call me when it's ready. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't bring dead animals into the hospital. Don't bring in two-day-old stool samples and a coffee mug. If your poo is nasty, we believe you. We can get a sample in here if we need it. You don't need to stop giving your child pain and fever medication to prove that they have a fever or are in pain. We believe you. Don't do that to your child. If you ever had an earache or remember one, treat them. We'll know. We'll see it. Don't let them suffer. Please avoid registering your whole family to be seen by a doctor because one child has a runny nose. It's a waste of resources and your children may leave with something much worse than a runny nose. Which leads me to number 14. Don't let your kids crawl around on the floor or lick the furniture. It's dirty. You'll be back with something way worse. 15. Don't pull up in the ambulance bay and say that you have someone dead in your car because you want to get in quick. 
We'll figure it out pretty fast. Don't piss us off. It's just, it's not good. 16. Don't threaten to leave, to go home, to call an ambulance, to get in quicker. You'll arrive by ambulance, be taken off the stretcher, and be wheeled or walked down to the triage area. Be registered all over again and therefore have to wait longer because you lost your spot. And if you just stayed, you probably would have already been seen by a doctor. Most importantly, you're taking an ambulance off the street that desperately need to be there to be ready to take care of emergencies and it's a waste of time and resources. And you'll likely get a hefty ambulance bill. In Canada, most of our healthcare is free. I mean, it gets paid through taxes, but people aren't used to paying for healthcare and often getting an ambulance bill is enough to deter. Unfortunately, it should be the other reasons. 17. A splinter is not a medical emergency unless that splinter is a 2x4 that impaled you. Running out of cigarettes is not a medical emergency and you will not get a prescription for Nicorette. Swallowing a fly is not a medical emergency. Four bumps on your forehead is not necrotizing fasciitis, it's acne. You don't need to be put in isolation because the people around you are sick. Unless, of course, you have a compromised immune system, which we will do. Number 22. Yelling from your seat in the waiting room about how displeased you are and how much we suck will not get you in any faster. Trying to incite a riot will not work out well for you either. Don't eat greasy, stinky food around people who are vomiting. Being rich does not mean you're going to get in faster. Taking an extra dose of antibiotics is not a life-threatening event. If you're hurt at a party, don't bring the party with you. Number 27. I've been forgetting to say the numbers. Okay, well, we're at 27 out of 30, just so you know. Number 27. If your condition is getting worse, don't hide at the back of the waiting room and not tell us. You're not bothering us. We want to know what's going on with you. We want to help you. Don't hide. The back of the room patients scare us. Don't yell at the person that went ahead of you or try to bribe them. We choose who goes next for a good reason. Don't smoke a joint in the bathroom. And number 30, please don't take 17 numbers hoping to jump ahead of the line. You will not get the next 17 spots. Next is next. So that's it. <laughs> I've encountered every single one of these. It's true. And I have a lot more, but I'm just gonna do 30 for today. <laughs> Most people don't do this, and I think that's part of the reason why these stand out so much, because they're so asinine. Everyone deserves the care they need and will get it as needed. We do care. We wanna help people. We wanna bring them comfort, and we wanna fix a problem. We wanna save lives. You know, I totally understand when in an emergency room, it's a scary time. You're worried, you're afraid that something really bad is happening or you're in a lot of pain. Sometimes there's a loss or feeling of hopelessness. And yeah, I get that. But abusive and overly selfish behavior, it's not the, the time and place for that. And another thing that really goes a long way is to remember this. We may not always be the most friendly bunch, but 
it's because we're usually pretty busy juggling a lot of different things and our minds are hard at work and our bodies even harder. A smile, a thank you in a kind world, hell, just being patient goes a long way. We often get more fuck yous than thank yous. So it can make our day and we don't forget it. So yeah, that's it. That's my little episode on triage. I hope you enjoyed it. I am so looking forward to 2018 and what it has to bring. I look forward to sharing with you guys. I wish you all a very safe and happy new year. Please don't drink and drive. Help each other out. Be safe. Enjoy the time and ring in the new year because hell, we made it through another one. We're still alive and we've got another long one ahead of us. Peace. One love.